Welcome to Hold Up, the podcast where we watch our favorite rom-coms and decide whether they hold up. I'm Carrie Gilbert. I'm Allison Gilbert. And this week we watched Working Girl. And Allison's going to tell you about it. Happy New Year. <laughs> didn't even, Happy New Year. We didn't even start talking to our people. Um, Working Girl came out in 1988. It holds an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was written by Kevin Wade and directed by the one and only Mike Nichols. Uh, It stars, Carrie's gone, so she's not going to be able to help me remember everyone who stars in this movie. So I'm going to vamp until, okay, she's back. It stars Melanie Griffith, Harrison Ford, Sigourney Weaver, not Sissy Spacek. I kept wanting to call her Sissy Spacek. Joan Cusack, uh, Alec Baldwin, other people. Yeah, there were lots of people. Gary Marshall. Gary Marshall? Yeah, he's Trask. No, honey. Who's that guy? The dad from my best friend's wedding. Wait, but what's his name? The music is from Carly Simon, and I have had let the river run in my head for six hours now, which you cannot find on Spotify. Dabney Coleman. Isn't it Dabney Coleman? No, Dabney Coleman's the dad from You've Got Mail. They're different. Yes. Philip Bosco. Oliver Platt. Oliver hmm. Platt. <laughs> Just bleep it out. Whenever we say Kevin Spacey, will you put bleeps over it? Yeah. Kevin Trigger Spacey warning. is in this one. Kevin Spacey is in this movie. It's very brief. We'll talk about it very briefly. Okay. Speaking of the cast, here are the people I saw that had like fairly minor roles, but like went on to be really famous or were kind of already famous. There were a lot of like 90s, 80s, and 90s like TV stars. Yeah. Oliver Platt. You already said that, but Oliver Platt, Olympia Dukakis was there for a hot minute. It really made me want to watch Steel Magnolias. She was already a star because this is post Steel Magnolias, but it really made me want to watch Steel Magnolias. And then I remember that I physically cannot. Small, small part for Olympia Dukakis. Um, Nora Dunn. Who was the assistant at the end with someone? I think she's in Mad About You. She's in one of those, you know? She's on Law and Order. That's what I know her from. Mm-hmm. She's, the, she's the Emmy um but like ricky lake ricky, ricky lake, lake is there you blink and you miss her you blink and you miss her she had one line two lines where the bride where ricky lake has two lines so ricky lake is a bridesmaid she has two lines the bride did you catch who that was no she looked familiar but i didn't look it up because i was too busy looking at harrison ford um she's victoria from sleepless in seattle i know individually who sissy spacek joan cusack and Sigourney Weaver are. But in my head, they're all one. And so this movie was tough for me, except Sissy Spacek wasn't there. Not at all. Not even a little bit. But Sigourney Weaver was barely Sissy's there. The plot of this movie is... Right. Um, Melanie Griffith is an assistant from like Long Island or Staten Island. Staten Island, I think. Yeah, she's taking the ferry. And it's got to be Staten Island. And she and her best friend, Joan Cusack, doing just A plus Staten Island accent. Uh, Melanie Griffith isn't because she's in speech class. And I think maybe we were told that because maybe Melanie Griffith couldn't pull off the accent as well as, no, I bet she could. I take that back. Anyway, they take the Staten Island Ferry into Manhattan every day to be secretaries. And Melanie Griffith uh, gets set up by her shitty boss, Oliver Platt, to go on what he tells her is an interview with this guy. And that guy is Kevin Spacey. We're going to bleep out his name. Um, and he's uh, sexually harasses her in a limo and like shows her porn and tries to have sex with her again very art imitating life except she's both a woman and an adult um, 
And so then she quits her job and she like tells Oliver Platt to suck it and then goes and gets a job for Sigourney Weaver. And she's all excited because she's going to she's going to be she's like inspired by this woman who's like a month younger than her, which saying girl I have worked for women that are younger than me before and it is tough but she's like inspired by her she thinks she's going to mentor her Sigourney Weaver is all like we're a team and best idea wins um and uh Melanie Griffith tells her boyfriend a young hot Alec Baldwin about how inspired she is by Sigourney Weaver and he's like shut up the pizza's getting cold um and so anyway Sigourney Weaver goes on a screen trip she thinks her boyfriend's going to propose to her um, but then she breaks her leg and she is in the hospital uh, harassing the hospital staff for like, I don't know, it's unclear how long, two weeks, a month, it, it could be a year, no one knows. Um, and so in the meantime, uh, Melanie Griffith like goes to her house to help her with things, but then she like tries on her clothes and decides she's going to basically like start wearing her clothes and living in her house. And it's a little bit like in a different movie, it's a little bit fatal attraction, except she just wants to see what it's like to be like a classy well, man. You're, you're also missing like the key the key point here oh she has an idea she had an idea <laughs> and she had told Sigourney Weaver about the idea about like merging with radio instead of tv honestly the idea is unimportant but Sigourney Weaver then steals the idea and is gonna take it and she like tells her she's like the idea won't work but great thanks for bringing it to me like we're a team and then she steals Sigourney Weaver steals the idea and starts to take it to the people so Melanie Griffith is like fuck that I'm gonna uh, take the idea, but I have to like pose as uh, a girl boss in order to do that. Cause no one will listen to an assistant. And then at a bar one night where she's going to girl boss, she meets the handsomest man in the world, Harrison Ford, and they flirt. But in order to calm down, her best friend, Joan Cusack had given her, um, uh, Valium and the Valium mixes bad with the tequila. And so they can't have sex. Well, thank God they don't They the movie tries to trick us. <laughs> the movie tries to make us think he's raped her, but he didn't rape her. Um, so then but the next day she like tells him the idea and they start to go towards this merger together and also they're falling in love but then twist he was the person that Sigourney Weaver thought was going to propose to him uh to propose to her but he was going to break up with her and he's now fallen in love with Melanie Griffith and scene that was beautiful that was like Olaf in the Disney movies (laughs) yes (laughs) if you don't have toddlers and you're not familiar on disney plus there's um a show where olaf will explain disney movies in like 60 seconds and it's honestly very funny um you made us watch them while the babies were sleeping so don't act like this is something you only watch while toddlers are awake because over christmas carrie was like it was fun let's watch these funny funny shorts (laughs) what were your predictions when was the last time you'd seen this movie so I saw this movie when I was moving into my apartment two apartments ago. So I live in my current apartment. Before I lived in this apartment, I lived with mom and dad because there was a hashtag global pandemic. Fact still is. <laughs> Don't know if you guys have heard. It's horrifying. Anyway, um, then before that, I lived in an apartment. And before that, I lived in a different apartment. <laughs> and when I first moved into that apartment in twenty. 15 or 16 must have been 2016 because yeah it was 2016 um I didn't have cable when I first got there and so I didn't didn't have my furniture my apartment before that had given me um was very hot and it was upsetting so I just went to stay at the new apartment so many of these details are unimportant anyway all I had I had like three dvds a dvd player and an air mattress so and I one of the dvds was working girl um and as I'm saying this, I now realize that I paid $3.99 to rent this movie when I, in fact, have it on DVD. So that is money I'm not getting back. 
But so uh, the last time I watched this was 2016. Okay, so what were your predictions based on having seen it in 2016? I had re- remember as I watched this movie, I was like, oh yeah, okay, I remember this movie. But I, uh, like I had forgotten that bleep it out Kevin Spacey is in this movie. So it didn't like that much didn't stick with me. But I do remember in the scene where she has mixed tequila and Valium and is passed out in Harrison Ford's apartment being like, because this movie is made in 1988, they're actually going to, and the movie does a very good job at making us think they've had sex or that an assault has occurred. Um, And so I remember being very worried. I was like, oh, this movie's going to make her fall in love with a guy who assaulted her. And then that doesn't happen. And I remember being so relieved. So I remember that that way it had held up. Um, And honestly, and so I thought, I, I think I thought that it would hold up okay if not great what were your predictions so i don't think i'd seen this movie in years like years and years and years um and i really didn't remember much about it i in fact thought like she pretended to be sigourney weaver i didn't realize that she like used her whole name name. yeah keeps her own name like she doesn't try to impersonate not impersonate but like yeah, pass herself yeah. off as Sigourney Weaver. Right. She just is like, I work with her instead of being right. like, I'm her assistant. Correct. Um, so like I'd forgotten that. The only honestly, like the only detail I really remembered was this was the end where she like proves to like the head honcho guy not who Gary just Marshall. said was Gary Marshall, but is not. You said he was um, Dabney Coleman. We were both wrong here. Okay, but he's closer to Dabney Coleman. I don't um, think so. I think he's closer to Gary Marshall. Okay, regardless. The only the when she like proves to him that it was her idea because she can explain to him how she came up with it, how she came up with the idea. That was like the only detail I remembered. And even that I doubted. I was like, maybe that's not right. Uh, what were your predictions? I I because so you I didn't really have it, any. Yeah, I mean, I I expected it not to hold up very well because it was made in the 80s but I also knew it had this sort of like underlying like I had remember I have I have memories of like people talking about its some of its underlying themes and feminist themes so I I really wasn't sure what to expect this movie held up a lot better than I expected I think I think this movie was ahead of its time and holds up pretty well a handful of things like the casting of certain people like you obviously can't predict you know people didn't know who kevin spacey was at that you know he was hiding his proclivities very well his proclivities right. being that he is a child rapist not that he's a homosexual i just want to make that clear yeah um so like there's some casting things that don't hold up and there's a level of like girl boss feminism that i think yeah but still I exists would... today that maybe you and i are trying to unlearn but but i don't know that i i would say it doesn't hold up well, I also feel like the girl boss, I mean, yes, like the whole premise is built on like capitalism. So there's that. But like, otherwise, I feel like most of the like, quote unquote, like new wavy girl boss performative feminism is coming from Sigourney Weaver, who's ultimately the villain. And, and um, there's a commentary on that. Yes. Like there, there's an extent to which this movie was addressing things like, and obviously like there are two women who are juxtaposed against each other, um, 
Sigourney Weaver and Melanie Griffith. Melanie Griffith are both white women, pretty conventionally attractive, thin, cishet white women. So like in that way, we're not getting into a lot of like really deep political stuff, but this movie, but we do get into some class stuff like pretty extensively. And this movie hits on a lot of the things that now I think we talk about in terms of race and nationality and disability and sexual orientation and all of that. But these sort of like how you present in the workplace that our beauty ideals are um, built on Eurocentric Aryan um, and like you have to look a certain way in the workplace and you have to talk a certain way and you have to present a certain way like all of those ideas I feel like we're really kind are, in of ahead of their, are in this this movie is like it's it's a it's a light-hearted movie white and, women but it's talking about yeah, yeah and it's a light-hearted movie so it's not like but it but it is getting into them more than I expected and I do feel like it really was kind of ahead of its time in that way Harrison Ford has a line early on where he is attracted to Melanie Griffith. Melanie Griffith has gone to Sigourney Weaver's house, is put on dress and has gone to a bar. And Harrison Ford says he is drawn to her because she is dressed like a woman, not like how he, not like a woman who's trying to uh, dress like a man. And like, sure, is he commenting on the way she's dressed? And like, maybe that's not appropriate, but also like they're at a bar and it's flirty. And so like, they they're meeting in a different area whatever we can get into it but I was like yeah there I do feel like for years and even currently like women's corporate dress or women's what we are deemed as women's professional dress is just like a female version of the male suit and we're and like women for a long time I think have tried to appear more masculine to get like sort of in with the or more like like a femininity of a masculinity, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And not to go too and, far because if and you go not too, to go too far, far. Then, then again, that like gets into like the queer question of it all is like, you like, you have to be feminine, feminine. Whilst, but not appearing sexual. like sex, sexual. Right. And like, particularly yes. at this time, like women's suits were very boxy. We were hiding women's bodies. We were like women's corporate dress at this time and even now was very boxy like we you you had to be feminine but not but chaste well and no so he comments when he's hitting on her that he's attracted to the way she's dressed but that never stops him from believing in her ideas or her smart or her business sense like he is attracted to her femininity and also he respects her brain and her knowledge and her ability to be a businesswoman and both of those things live in the same woman and are not and are not like two halves to the whole they're just they're who she is mm-hmm. and it's so it's odd it's already being like yeah women don't have to get in with the boys to be respected or shouldn't have to get in with the boys to be respected in the workplace in a way that like is still an issue today honestly like, yeah. the second I remember that this was directed by Mike Nichols I was like we're fine we're everything is fine because I just rewatched the birdcage for the 8,000th time in my life and so much of that movie like Mike Nichols just made movies that were ahead of their time in so many ways 
I just trusted in Mike Nichols to tell this story in a progressive way. Yeah. Yeah. There's a scene where like she has Joan Cusack who plays her best friend. Like she has Joan Cusack cut her hair and she's like, you have to have serious hair. And like, we're still again in today's context, it's, it's, it, the context is about race and about black women's like natural hair. And again, about having like non Eurocentric hair. Um, but so like, yes, this is the night in the movie, it's like the 1988 version of that because she has to sort of like undo her Staten Islandness. It's um, her hair at the beginning, both her and Joan Cusack's hair is very bad. They have like full 80s, like Staten Island mullets. The movie first is... shot of them on the Staten Island ferry with that hair and they both have like dual tone eyeshadow. I was like, you and I are going to start dressing like this. Like, this is what we're doing this for Halloween. This movie, like if we didn't tell you this movie took place in the 80s, you would immediately know. There's no, like it is stamped in time. Um, anyway yes but but anyway like it's it's dealing with these themes and these issues that we're still dealing with today again like in different contexts but like it's just it was interesting to see these things play out and again it's playing out between two white women but it's I do think like at the time it was a way of exploring that exploring those issues having those conversations yeah there was something else. Oh, just like in general, the her sort of like makeover and her attempt to assimilate, like she ends up listening to like Catherine's dictations so that she can like speak in a more like appropriate. I mean, that's not the right, right word, but like professional, like in, right. with less of a in, a, in a higher class way. She has, yeah. she's from Staten Island. She's lower class. Um, She's so that she can speak correctly or like yeah and we and we know that Catherine came from money she like probably went to the very best schools like she had all the opportunities in life to become who she is and like she probably was one of few women in her industry but she was able to get there because of like this enormous socioeconomic privilege that she had um, yeah, she has that real, like, I think it often goes hand in hand with uh, women in privilege who have worked their way up in a job situation. But I also think it can happen to, you know, any woman who sort of for worked her way up career-wise. Is Sigourney Weaver has that great, like, character trait of, like, I, it's the I went through this, so you'll have to, too, without understanding, like, the different advantages different people have and like and she does it in such like a syrupy sweet way like it reminded me of women I've worked for or women I've known in my life um Mm -hmm. that are sort of like um you know I'm gonna help you we're in this together but then don't really and it's one of the things I thought was interesting about this movie is yes there are male uh villains in this movie and sexual the sexual harassment we see her face is perpetrated by men and we see that like She's been through a lot of jobs and she, and one of the things she likes when she goes to work for Sigourney Weaver is she thinks it's going to be better because it's a woman. And then it's just bad in a different kind of way. And this movie isn't shying away from the fact that like women can also be, can also perpetuate the patriarchy Mm -hmm. and Sigourney Weaver's character is doing just that. Um, Right. She calls it feminism and it's really just like, I got here. And so now I'm going to 
continue to perpetuate the patriarchy because I've right. gotten to a level of skill. I don't have to make it easier for anyone else. Right. I, I don't, I'm going to pull up the ladder behind me, you know, right. like that old adage of like, I got here. And so I'm going to put up the barrier, like, cause I did it. You have to do it. Yeah. It, it has to be as hard for you as it was for me. Right. Um, yeah. It's a very, like, it's a well written character. It's a well-written movie. Like, I feel like we get a lot of character development real fast. We get a lot of, you know, we get this scene in her job that she ultimately ends up leaving early on in the movie, but we get this scene where she's applied to this, like what's called like entree program, which I think is like essentially like a training program. And she keeps getting denied and her male bosses are like, well, you know, you're up against Ivy league guys. Like you, you know, you went to night school and you've been a secretary and we also see that she knows the market and she knows the market as well as any of the men who are doing the trading, but she's not given these opportunities. Um, so we get a lot of information really quick about sort of like her socioeconomic status, her upbringing, her intelligence, her ambition. Um, and then kind of like how we see, I also just really liked this character more than I remembered Mm-hmm. I, for whatever reason, like I've never, I've always thought of myself as like not a huge Melanie Griffith fan. And the truth of the matter is, I just don't know that I've seen her in a lot. There are a couple things, and I don't know if it was like choices she was making or directing, but there are a couple moments. One of them you already sort of talked about, like her listening to Supporting Weaver's dictation while she's on her like exercise bike is a very funny like image to me. But then there's another, there's one time where um she's like sitting down with Harrison Ford and he says coffee as a question and she her first instinct is to get up and go get it and then someone asks her like a different assistant is like how do you take it and she realizes that it's being offered to her not asked of her and the like her get and all of this happens in under five seconds and he says coffee she gets up she swirls around she sits back down and it's so character revealing interesting and funny it's just like and I'm sure that that, that was like either in the script or also a directorial note but like she just does it very well and she's very sort of like lovable and funny and also like commands respect but in a very like quiet and feminine way like I don't know I really she's very interesting casting for this she is really interesting casting and and maybe it was like my own internalized misogyny as like a kid or something but I think I remember like not loving her voice and like her soft spokenness and in this rewatch I I feel like it works so well because it's like an asset her soft spokenness yes because we get to see her femininity we get to see her vulnerability she's not like bullish or over the top in terms of the way that she does business she she doesn't act like quote-unquote like a man or masculine well and um, it's juxtaposing her and Sigourney Weaver because right Weaver does do those things right um and and I want to be clear that like I don't in the world of business I don't know that one is necessarily better than the other it's just interesting in this movie about like how you get ahead and how you assert yourself and and how you demonstrate ambition as a woman who comes you know who didn't have all the privileges in life like 
it it just was a it was an interesting choice and I thought it worked really well. I also just think like her performance she she comes across in her performance like the like actress Melanie Griffin comes across as like so genuine and so natural and she just is there's an ease about her on screen that I don't think I've ever paid attention to to before. Um yeah, one of my favorite lines at the end is when she's explaining to Philip to not Gary Marshall, apparently his name is Philip Bosco, why she has lied essentially. And she says like, you, you can't break the rules until you get to a certain level in your career, but I can't get to that level without breaking the rules. And it's such like, and, and like, she She basically like summed up like capitalism. (laughs) It's like, I had to lie. No one would take me seriously because my hair is insane and I'm from Staten Island. <laughs> she said, she, I think she said, like, I wrote it down too. I, you can't bend the rules until you get upstairs. And if you're like me, you can't get upstairs unless you bend the rules. Great. Beautiful. I was like, okay, right. You've just summarized like the problem with late stage capitalism. <laughs> and how it disenfranchises everyone except this hat white man. <laughs> yep. Basically. And people that align themselves with its masculinity oh yeah yeah so there's some problematic people in this we're not gonna dwell any more than we already have on but alec baldwin is there looking oh i forgot i forget because alec baldwin is so to me jack donaghy i forget just how handsome he was in the late 80s yeah but luckily man he could wear clothes yeah I get it. He is a problematic person. We like, ugh, whatever. What a babe. I mean, luckily the moment he opened his mouth as this character, I was like, yeah, this character's a monster. He like fully cheats on her. He cheats on her. He like gaslights her. She's like trying to tell him about her job. And he's like, the pizza's going to freeze. It's like, shut up and listen to her. Well, and then at one point when she's like, I don't know if I want to marry you. He was like, he said who the fuck died and made you grace kelly which is perhaps like one of the most awful things that your partner could say to you like also like imagine let me lay out the scenario for our dear listeners in there your boyfriend has cheated on you you then go to your best friend's engagement party and because you're a kind forgiving person you speak to your ex-boyfriend who cheated on you i think she says three days ago You dance with them. You're sort of getting along. Then he proposes to you in front of all your friends. So, which is a manipulative way to propose to a person. Yeah. And then, and then gets upset when she says, not no, just, I don't know. I have to think about it, which is a very reasonable answer. Since if that were me and I'd been cheated on three days ago and he proposed to me, I'd say, get fucked out. <laughs> right. No, no. She just needs some time to think about it. Then he yells at her and says, who made, died and made you Grace Kelly? But also just that if she can't decide right now, then she can. I would be like, yeah, fine. Then we're not getting married. I don't know what you want but from me. You piece also, of shit. Also, like, she doesn't have to be Grace Kelly for you as her partner to treat her kindly and respectfully. Right? Like, like shouldn't. Do you have to be a fucking princess in order for, like, the people, particularly your partner, to treat you kindly? I was like, who is this man? And where should I bury his body? He was her shitty Stan Island boyfriend. Which Ooh, like the that woman he cheated on with is at the party. I was like, what is this group of friends? <laughs> yeah. Also, like Joan Cusack kept like being like, he's so sad. And I was like, yeah, Joan. And 
I needed Joan to be a little bit more runaway bride friend and a little bit less this friend. I agree. She was a little too team Mick for me. Well, at one point, Melanie Griffith is fully like, why? He cheated on me. Why are you on like on his side? And she was like, I'm not. I just think like, you're so kind. You should hear him out. I was like, Joan. Yeah. No. And then she was like, you're going to lose your job, which she wasn't wrong about that. Like she was warning she was- her against all of the like deception that Melanie Griffith was engaging in, which like, and now she's been a good friend. Yeah. But then she was like, you're out of your man in your home already. And now you're going to be out of job. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like, are those things <laughs> like, I'm sorry, to come check the boxes. right. Like where how about you could stay with me as long as you need to. I did wonder where she was staying. So she and Alec Baldwin obviously lived together when he cheated on her. She moved out, but it was fine because she was staying at Sigourney Weaver's Manhattan apartment gorgeous kajillion dollar Manhattan apartment but in the time between when she had to leave that because Sigourney Weaver was back and she was not she had she had told Alec Baldwin she would marry him where was she staying like where was she sleeping I guess one night she slept with Harrison Ford was she just there all the time I think she slept at the office I think it was just one night because then there was a night where she slept at Harrison Ford so they had a very sexy sexy sex scene yeah but that was before Sigourney Weaver got back correct so I think it was just the one night. Well, June Cusick should have let her stay with her. True. And then I do think she immediately moves in with Harrison Ford, which is pretty fast. But if Harrison Ford told me he loved me, I'd be like, I'm moving in. Correct. Yeah. Correct. We'll do anything you want forever. There is not um, an age of Harrison Ford. Different from Alec Baldwin, where like once he got older and he like became a decidedly worse person and his look started to fade i am not attracted to like present day alec baldwin there is not an age uh like 22 plus of harrison ford i would not bang yeah but this version is very good i will say my favorite fantastic is the future but i think the sexiest harrison ford is bearded and on the run um yeah but the i mean i get it he could wear a suit though I also just like, like nice and listens to her and likes her ideas. Yeah. And like, he's very flirtatious and he's very like, he keeps, you know, insinuating that they should have dinner or like spend social time together. And she keeps turning him down. But first of all, it's Harrison Ford. So it doesn't come across as like icky. Um, but also, also they met in a social situation. They did not meet at work. Well, but also she's his equal, like as far as he knows, I mean, she's not in reality, but like, as far as she knows, based on how she's introduced himself, herself to him and and, how she's presenting herself and how she's presenting herself and how they're interacting, like why they're working together. As far as he knows, they're complete equals. So there's not, it's not like in the Kevin Spacey scene or her scenes with Oliver Platt, where it's her boss or some man who has the ability the ability to hire fire whatever um there's not a power imbalance between her and Harrison Ford and at the end he says to her like why when it's revealed he he says like why don't you just tell me the truth and she's like a would you have she, she says like would you have listened to my ideas if I had which is like a fair point but also like it this entire if he knew this movie would be very different if he knew she was an assistant there there would be a it would be ickier and there's nothing icky about the ickiest part about their relationship is he was like i'm uh just broke up with a woman well technically i haven't broken up with her yet but i'm going to and i was like harrison ford that is nice well and then he goes 
And then when Sigourney Weaver gets back and she's like trying to seduce him and he goes over to her apartment, he doesn't just break up with her. He like continues to let her think that they're together. Yes. And then he leaves. And I was like, Harrison Ford, like beef. I mean, Sigourney Weaver is the villain here, but like let a girl down easy. Like, come on. You obviously didn't like it's not a movie to them. It's life. So like he dated her. You don't date someone you think is the villain. Right. But like, other than that, there was nothing like icky or even like the, in the scene where she is passed out in his apartment and they wake up in the bed naked. And she's like, how did I get here? And he's like, I took off your shoes. I uh, like helped you into bed. I didn't look at anything. And then he says he peeked, but again, it's her <laughs> support. I like, look at me under any circumstances. Here support. Okay. There's also, I noticed, um, or just like, as we were getting started, started recording, it occurred to me. So there's this scene at the beginning. It's we hope the first day in the movie is Melanie Griffith's birthday and 30th birthday. They like Joan Cusack and Alec Baldwin throw her a birthday party. And then we see that Alec Baldwin has given her lingerie and she says something along the lines of like, you always give me lingerie. Like how come you've never given me like a sweater or a book or like something I could actually wear outside of this apartment. And he says something like stupid, whatever. Um, and then at the end, when she's getting ready to like start her first day of work and she and Harrison Ford are together, he gives her a lunchbox with her name on it that has like pens and pencils and, and an apple for the teacher. An apple and a sandwich, like stuff she can actually use, which is he exactly made her what she, lunch. Yeah. Which is like exactly what she asked for and exactly what she said she wanted. And I love that little like juxtaposed detail. It's not even the first gift he gives her either, because at one point she goes, oh, yeah, he also gave her her and she's like, oh, I I couldn't find my briefcase. And so before they're even dating, after they've like just started to work together and obviously he has a crush on her, but like after they've just started working together, he gets her a briefcase. Yeah, because they're working together and she needed one. I I support is my ideal. man. (laughs) Well, I also just think like I I missed who you said wrote this, but I think like. Kevin, you know, Wade. in the same way that like Melanie Griffith and Sigourney Weaver are juxtaposed against each other. I think that Alec Baldwin and Harrison Ford are, are in lots of very real, but also very subtle sort of ways, like the gift giving are juxtaposed against each other in terms of like, like a good man versus not. Alec Baldwin is only getting her gifts that are to his benefit. Like I'm sorry, it, you don't buy a woman lingerie, like, even if even if a woman likes wearing lingerie, it, that is, like, also a gift for the gift giver, whereas, like, him packing her on lunch in a little monogrammed 1980s, like, a lunch pail. Right. With pencils. Right. Yeah. I know that this character is not Harrison Ford, but it, to me it is. Calista, oh you lucky lady. <laughs> Oh, another thing that I thought was really funny and again, very subtle. And I don't know whether it was in the script or whether it was a directorial choice, but again, in that like early scene where we see her and Alec Baldwin, like in their bedroom together, there's a stuffed animal that is a wolf in sheep's clothing. That is the art department, baby. Um, Which I thought was really interesting because that could be, it could be Melanie or Sigourney Weaver, or it could be Melanie Griffith, like not, not a wolf in like a negative way, but just in like this really like smart, powerful way. And she, but she comes across as so like soft-spoken and I want, I'm glad I have the DVD. I'm going to watch the audio commentary of this shit. 
You should. Um, I thought also long, when <laughs> you have access to the series, I was gonna say I liked the detail of Alec Baldwin being like, "I'm sorry, I cheated on you. I'm getting my life together. I got that boat long." Wild. Like, get I was it, like, Alec. What? I'm glad you got your boat long. Also, it was not clear to me until later when he explained that he had was renting the boat that it was like a line of income. I thought he was like, "Oh, I'm getting my life together. I bought a boat for like oh, recreational I, purposes." And I was like, "What?" Until this moment, this moment, I learned that that was. I was like, "Oh, he just wants a boat." Um, what was I gonna say? Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought it was interesting. Like all of these, all of the like visuals of the offices that we see, like these floors of these offices, is like the uh, you know the offices around the outside with the views and then in the inside is like the secretary pool with like the cubicles and stuff mm-hmm. um and it reminded me in a lot of way like visually of mad men um and i think that it's interesting that this is supposed to be like 20 to 30 20 years. years later and it still looks the same and like a lot of the sexual harassment and misogyny and gatekeeping and expectations about what you look like in an office are all still there i have worked in an office with that layout yeah i mean i job it was not in the job where i was sexually harassed um in the job where i was sexually harassed i had an office that i could hide in and i did um so in that way like it wasn't used for those purposes but it was like all of the writers had offices around it and then in the bullpen were the assistants yeah i mean there's common writers room layout well and it's fairly common like in in lots of industries i mean there's still lots of offices that are laid out like that it just i just visually like from a film perspective it's just interesting to like look at like the mad men visuals versus the working girl visuals versus like lots of like present day visuals yeah and that like it's almost like and I know I keep coming back to this but it's almost like capitalism isn't going to save us or solve this movie is not an anti-capitalist anthem but we are this podcast is (laughs) it's a particularly bad week for uh capitalism I think or for people living capitalism's doing great (laughs) for people living under capitalism it's a particularly bad week when you've been told to stop quarantining from a deadly infectious disease after five days in order to get back to work yeah, I mean, it's, I been a, it's been a rough two years under capitalism, but that's, I mean, anyway. Um, anyway, Harrison Ford in this movie whistles if I only had a brain after having sex, and I feel like I need to dissect that. I was like, what is that song he's whistling? It's if I only had a brain. <laughs> that's was it a choice. choice he made as an actor? Was, or does Har- was that just like Harrison Ford? Like, I was like, what is the meaning of this? That's really funny. I did not catch that. Um, I only got it because I was like, "Why know what he's whistling? What is that?" As he like pays for the Chinese food. Also, like, what a dream to have sex with Harrison Ford and have you him bring you Chinese food. Yeah, great, love it. That is my greatest wish. Um, a couple of things that like on a non in a non problematic way didn't hold up um buzzing busy office buildings it was very jarring to see them they do not exist in this current day and age Mm -mm, no there was a lot of scenes where i was like oh all these people have COVID," but then i was like never mind it's 
30 years. Yeah. I was like, why is she walking into all these meetings without masks on? Why are they in um, a bar with all these, with all the smoke being blown about? <laughs> right. Um, also at, there at one point, Harrison Ford goes to the bathroom. He's in, he's in the women's restroom with Melanie Griffith. He pees. We hear him pee. He then walks out, doesn't wash his hands and does one of those things where you like pop the inside of your mouth. Didn't and I was like, wash his hands. Cause I was so attracted to doing the pop. It was hot. I get it. But Harrison Ford's a good actor. So gross. So, so gross. Men don't wash their hands as much when they pee, though, because they're not fiddling down there in the same way. That, like when wimp, first of all, I don't wash my hands when I pee at home. Don't at me. Um, but also like women, it's, it's a more invasive wipe. Yeah, but you're not then putting your hand in your mouth. I'm just saying and then, maybe maybe he didn't even touch it. You know what I mean? Maybe he just like peed, put it back in and left. In a post-COVID world, we can't we can't be doing that shit. Uh, dictation. So like at one point she's listening to Sigourney Weaver's like dictation to herself or to her secretary. Um, and she's like dictating letters that she needs to write. Dictation and letter writing do not hold up. Mm-hmm. And it's letter writing. Although in the year of our Lord, 2014 and 15 and 16, like the first law firm I was working at, we were told as associates that we needed to be doing dictation to our secretaries. And I was like, excuse me? Did you call them secretaries? I did like at the end of the movie, Melanie Griffith's new assistant who like, they have a whole confusing bit where Melanie Griffith's like, I work for you. And she's like, no, I work for you. What? Um, uh, But when she like then asked what's expected of her and Melanie Griffith gives her like very nice things. And then at like said, she didn't realize that she was a secretary and she's like, I prefer assistant. And I was like, get it. So in this law firm you were working, were you still calling them secretaries? I wasn't. No. In quotes, I have, I have the sentence. I know you hate when I say this. She said it to Alec Baldwin they're walking is the pizza scene she said it to Alec Baldwin and she's talking about how much she is excited about Sigourney Weaver being her boss or early on in the movie and she says and she's explaining why it's better and then she says I know you I I know you hate when I say this but I do think it's because she's a woman so we're being told early on that he doesn't like it when she says anything is sexism he is Alec Baldwin not a feminist got it Harrison Ford feminist god thank you so much that was great um, my favorite line of the whole entire movie is when she's first trying on Sigourney Weaver's clothes and like living in her apartment and wearing her clothes and Joan Cusack's with her and she tries on a dress that still has the tag on it and Joan Cusack looks at the tags and she goes $6,000 and it's not even leather it's not even leather <laughs> the fucking funniest line in the whole movie my favorite line comes shortly after that when uh a couple scenes later melanie griffith is telling also from joan cusack melanie griffith is telling joan cusack that she took the valium drank tequila and then passed out and joan cusack like sort of offhandedly is like i should have checked the mill i should have checked the milligrams live and learn <laughs> like yes. she basically drugged her friend and she's just like what are you gonna do you gotta check those milligrams <laughs> yeah yeah, Don't Joan Cusack, Cusack definitely has the best lines in the movie. That's true of most movies Joan Cusack is in. Um, one thing that didn't hold up in a problematic way is, so they crash this wedding of like the head honcho's daughter so that they can get close to him and propose this idea to him, they being Melanie Griffith and uh, Harrison Ford. And it's a Caribbean themed wedding, which first of all, what? Wild. But then 
all of the servers at the Caribbean themed wedding are black or brown people. Mm-hmm. One, the woman at the bar, the brown woman behind the bar is fully dressed as the Chiquita banana lady. Uh-huh. I was like, did Paula Dean plan this wedding? Like <laughs> what the fuck is happening? All of the guests are white. All of the guests, including Ricky Lake, are white people. All of the staff are black and brown people dressed in uh, like very stereotypical Caribbean getups. Yes. Yeah. Um, the bride's like 1980s over the top absurd wedding dress was absolute perfection, though. I do think what like the wedding is a funny like sort of antics this is not a very like antiquesy romantic comedy particularly mm-hmm. like because like mike nichols has directed a kajillion movies but like uh, the one we have talked about uh the birdcage is like fully a farce like it's fully antiquey and this movie doesn't really have antics but this wedding scene when she's basically like nobody there knows everyone at a wedding like no one's gonna bat an eye if to like if we like can blend in and then it's them like trying to lie about who they know and not run it they'd be like we know that guy and then like they're trying to avoid that guy is very funny also melanie griffith is wearing a white suit to a wedding i was like that's not how you blend in you're gonna be the bitch in white yeah true story wear like a blush pink lady yeah another thing that didn't make sense to me is that harrison ford this grown-ass man who's supposed to be also rich has the tiniest fucking bed i've ever seen it's yeah. like barely full. Isn't it nice? It's not like it is. It's not like a as a fancy apartment as Sigourney Weaver's. Although I guess she says it's her like parents' apartment, maybe to justify why it's like so fancy. Well, um, and I think also to establish like she again she like for money comes from a very different place than Melanie Griffith. Uh, but his apartment is just sort of like a nice Manhattan apartment. It's like yeah. theoretically what a man making that much money like could live in, and it's Manhattan, so it's not like glamorous but yeah he does have a small bed yeah there's also a really great scene where he is on the phone talking to melanie griffith he's in his office and again he works in a in a similar layout where like the offices are around the outside and then there's the secretary pool and so the secretaries can like see into his office and he's talking to melanie griffith and he says he's like slept in the office and he's changing his shirt and like the secretary's like cheer and there's this fun like objectification of him and he plays along and he's like you know giggles along or whatever um and i'm not saying that like anybody's body should be objectified but because i disagree i think harrison ford's body should be objectified (laughs) i just like regardless of gender like we should not objectify people but historically it's women's bodies and in this movie it's women's bodies that get objectified and and we have seen a lot of the sexual harassment that is still going on in workplaces and so it was this fun like comic relief but also like turning it on its head that then we get this moment where the secretaries get to objectify harrison ford's and it has a body where his secretaries are comfortable enough doing that that he is you can surmise from this character that he is a good boss that he is kind and respectful and decent to the women who work for him yes which is the like bare fucking minimum but in this movie it's like "Mm, king kind king yeah i mean again i just think like this this movie is a lot better than i remembered in terms of like the way that it it like i just think it's much better written than i remember it does a lot of really interesting character development and in, and relationship development in very kind of subtle 
genuine, natural ways. And we yes. like, we're never hit over the head with Jack is a good man. Alec Baldwin is a bad guy. Like Sigourney Weaver and Melanie Griffiths come from different backgrounds. Melanie Griffiths is really smart, but also very soft spoke. Like we're not hit over the head with any of these messages or any of these themes, but they come through very clearly. No, it's very sort of like gently and honestly written. Yeah. Even at the end, like at Joan Cusack's wedding, when Melanie Griffith runs into Alec Baldwin and he's now officially dating the woman he cheated on her with, who has a full name they keep repeating. They're like, I can't believe he slept with like Danita D'Angelo. It's something like, it's like an Italian name that J.K. Rowling wrote. It's like, <laughs> well, we've been watching Jeff it's and like I Marissa been... DePasta or something, but like he, they run into him. Jeff and, and I've been this... watching The Sopranos and it's like, I feel like it's a name that would be in the Sopranos. Yes. Um, she runs into Alec Baldwin and they have like a nice sort of like, I mean, he's not a good boyfriend, but also this movie isn't writing him off as a garbage human being. Like, like I think he is, but also like there's this movie shows grace to even it's like shitty characters. And I think it's also like, I think the nice thing about that scene is it's also showing us like, regardless of the way I mean the way he treats her is important in their relationships not working out but a lot of it is also like these are two people who want very different things for themselves yes. he wants to marry Danita D'Angelo and live on Staten Island and he wants and- to like run his boat tours and he says like whatever her name is is like working the boat for him like that's what he wants he wants a wife who's gonna like run this boat business with him and and she wants to you know, like run a mergers and acquisitions department. Like they're very different people. Yeah. Uh, my only other complaint about this movie is that Melanie Griffith is third build. Excuse me. After who? Harrison Ford and Sigourney Weaver. I was like, get the fuck out of here. She is number one. Is this the first thing she did? I don't know. That doesn't Can't seem possible. That's the first thing. She, she is definitely a third build. That's why. It's wild. All right, hold on. I'm on our IMDb. Hold, please. I do think this was probably the only thing. This was like the thing that put her on the map. So she was not. She was not Sigourney Weaver or Harrison Ford famous at this point in her career. Oh, but there is a couple lines where she said, like, she says when she's like telling off Sigourney Weaver something about her skinny ass. Like, there is something that like Melanie Griffith is supposed to be like chubby, which like she is. A very nice pair of breasts but like i guess like maybe compared to sigourney weaver she has more weight on her but like are we to believe that she's like chubby and unattractive because she's melanie fucking griffin <laughs> i don't think we're supposed to believe that she's unattractive i think that we established early on that she's beautiful he even says that to her like from jump i don't think there's any question the year I thought it was a great year, way to start the year. Also, it was a nice. I was kind of like we did three Christmas movies this year, so it was nice. It was a nice non-Christmas. Were you Christmas movied out? Is it because we only did terrible Christmas movies? Yeah, I was very Christmas movied out. Um, I took out my Christmas decorations on the twenty seventh thousand, so I was ready for Christmas to be over. Um, What are we watching next? Next week we are in two weeks. Actually, next week. Our second Patreon episode will be up. So if you are not subscribed to the Patreon and you want to hear us talk about and just like that, which I know you do because we made you guys vote on what you want us to talk about. Ah, shit, I got to watch that. Um, well, maybe that's what I'll do when we finish. That's what I'm going to watch when we finish. Um, yes. Yeah, so please uh, 
subscribe to our Patreon for monthly bonus episodes plus lots of other fun perks. Um, you can, if you subscribe, you can listen to our December Patreon, which was all the Princess Switch movies. And then in January, it will be, and just like that, we're going to watch, I think, all but the finale, everything that will have aired by the time I we think, do it. I think there'll be two more episodes to air when we record. Okay. Um, but I'm sure we'll have things to say. Um, and then in two weeks, our regular episode, uh, which will always remain free, is going to be 50 first dates. We're going to go back to the Sandler Barrymore world i love 50 first dates i'm excited to watch that one me too i love it too it's gonna be deeply problematic probably okay i can't wait but i you know you know how i feel about your barrymore it's true um yeah so join join us for all of those things rate review and subscribe oh you can leave ratings on spotify now so do yes that. please if you're listening to us on spotify rate us Help. If you're listening Thank to you. us anywhere, rate us on that platform. But as previously, you've not been able to do that on Spotify. So jump on yeah. over to Spotify and do that. Um, rate, review, subscribe, uh, you know, sign up for our Patreon. Carrie will put a link to it in the show notes. We also um, have a lot of fun on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. Join us for oh, like weekly, like, which is your favorite kind of fun content stuff. Yeah, we're on Instagram at hold underscore up underscore pod. And Twitter at hold underscore up underscore podcast. Um, you know, wear uh, more than a cloth mask because we're back in hell. So try and find a heavier duty mask. Um, if you haven't been vaccinated or boosted, you're probably not listening to this podcast. But actually boost. Look, I think some people who listen may not be boosted yet. Go get your booster. Get your booster. Cover your face with a couple of layers. Wash your hands. Each other. Wash your hands. Don't 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 stick your hands in your mouth after peeing if you haven't washed your hands yet, unless you're under the age of four. Bye. Bye.